The Seattle Seahawks recorded their second consecutive win on Sunday, pulling away from the Houston Texans 33-13 and improving to 5-8 on the season. Can they translate this momentum into a playoff push? NFL Network's Greg Rosenthal joins us to dig into that and a whole lot more. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my talented producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Jackson, uh, Seahawks are coming off of their first multi-game winning streak of the season, so I'm feeling a bit vain, which is perfect because we have someone with us today that specializes in vanity projects. Hey, hey, how true it is. Well, you know what? You look, you look great. I'm, I'm wishing we were on video so the people could that's, see the reason. That's fantastic. You're feeling Thank vain, you. man. Living up to it. But hey, man, you mentioned it. That is two in a row for Seattle. And incredibly, the Seahawks find themselves just one game out of the playoffs with four to go. Now, that comes with the heavy caveat that there are five teams at six and seven. And they do lose the head-to-head tiebreaker to two of them. So it's not as simple as just chasing down one team. But still. For all the slings and arrows the Hawks have suffered, the book is not yet closed on this season, and with the huge game against the Rams coming up, things could get very interesting. Fortunately, we are blessed to have one of the preeminent minds covering the National Football League with us, and we're really excited to break it all down with him today. You may know him as the host of the Around the NFL podcast, or from his writing for NFL.com, or his on-air work with the NFL Network. He's also the co-host of the hilarious Jessel Nick and Rosenthal Vanity Project podcast. He is Greg Rosenthal. Greg, thanks for taking the time. What's up? I mean, uh, yeah, it's nice. To, I've seen Mike again. I know Mike going back a little bit. Never seen him with a mustache before. Uh, and good to meet you without like the cigar in the photo. Fo- <laughs> like, I just thought that was like permanently attached to, to your lips. Nor- normally there's one going right now, but uh, we're d- dealing with a little tickle in the throat. So, okay. <laughs> well, listen, man, uh, I know you've accomplished a lot in the last 10 years or so covering the league. And you've personally become one of my favorite people doing it but you've developed a substantial reach for your insight and analysis. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about how you got to where you're at. Mm, thank you. Uh, that's nice of you. Um, I started at Roto World. I, I sort of fell into it. It was 2003. That was a time when there wasn't a lot of like full-time jobs covering fantasy football, like writing the blurbs. Um, was was extremely lucky to fell into that. I was doing like production work before that. And then went from there, like just held on for dear life. The second I was working in football full time, I was just like, I never want to go back to to anything else. And like went to NBC, ended up buying us and ended up working with Pro Football Talk and then got a chance to, to go to the NFL um, and try to uh, do some of the stuff Pro Football Talk was doing there. And, and then the podcast ended up uh, paying the bills more than any of that writing stuff. So that was good. <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, it's it's been awesome to see, and and we're obviously thrilled to have you here. So again, thank you for taking the time. And and honestly, I'm excited to pick your brain on a few things as they relate to the league as a whole. But this is first and foremost a Seahawks podcast, and Seattle finds themselves on a mini win streak after taking care of business against the Texans. Now they've looked pretty good two games in a row. What's your impression on how this team is playing, and how likely do you think it is that they can actually make a playoff push? Not that likely just because they got to beat the Rams to do it. And that's tough. But you could, you know, you could be catching a break here. It's like half of Los Angeles is on that that COVID list. Um, it's it's a big number. Now, some of them, like Jalen Ramsey, maybe they could come back for Sunday. I think that's huge. If they beat the Rams, then suddenly it's on. And, like, I know Seahawks Twitter is crazy. I've had... <laughs> What? My, uh, what would ex- what would give ex- you that impression? <laughs> I've had my experiences with them over the years because, like, sometimes I'm like all about the Seahawks, and sometimes I love like you know negging the Seahawks or making fun of them. So depending on which your side you're kind of on in a given year, if you're feeling that team, like you feel that wrath. But I knew what I was doing when I like Sunday. I I sent out just something like. Don't look now. Seahawks are only like one game out in the loss column because I I watched that entire Texans Seahawks game. I assigned myself that game. We like assigned ourselves games on Sunday, and it was about as ugly as I expected. But it, it was Russ looking like Russ, which was like basically the one thing you wanted to see to believe there's a chance here. Because if if he is looking like himself and he was getting to that point the week 
you know, against the 49ers, but I don't think it was like all the way there. I thought that was such a nice, clean game for the most part from the offense that that got me thinking like, okay, I, I thought they've been a little bit unlucky all year that sure. they're a little better than, than five and eight. Sure. Well, you mentioned it, you know, the, they got off to kind of a rough start with the, against the 49ers last week too, you know, which was starting to get pretty concerning with the way Wilson was playing coming off of that rushed back finger recovery. Uh, but right at the end of the second quarter against San Francisco, they really started clicking and, and they haven't stopped since, you know, last six plus quarters, they've looked really good. This is kind of what we were all hoping it would look like at the beginning of the season. So from your perspective with Shane Waldron coming in to replace Brian Schottenheimer, what were your ex- expectations of this offense going into the season and what do you kind of project from them moving forward? Hmm. I, I I expected them to be better than they were a year ago. There's just like this tendency to to blame everything on on the coaches in Seattle, and and that's definitely been the case. And there was reason to believe like the line was fine, and you just felt like with that system they they would be a little better. You know, some of the games were fluky i mean the the tennessee game was crazy i feel like that game just like started this season for them going sideways because i think there's this idea that like russ wasn't great before he got hurt but they were okay like if they had had a better defense it wasn't like he was playing terribly or or things seemed totally amiss for five games in a brand new offense i wasn't that concerned and then you have geno smith starting three games and then you have russ just looking, you know, about as bad as as he's looked as a pro for a few games when he gets back. Yeah, you know, you you mentioned that there's there is a little bit of a revisionist history when looking back over this season with the offense because it was so bad for so long, starting with Russ's injury until really halfway through the Niners game. But going into the game that he got hurt, the first matchup with the Rams, he was the highest rated passer in the NFL. Like he was playing really, really well. He had 11 touchdowns versus one interception. They were clicking in the ways that we wanted them to. And it was a little boring though. It was like clean, but it was a little boring, which is like, it wasn't like, yeah, it was, it was high efficiency. It wasn't like the beginning of last year where they were dropping 38 points on everybody and just going over the top and Russ was throwing for way more yards than he ever had and averaging four touchdowns a game and all that kind of thing. You're, you're right. It was not that. Right. I, I do this article QB index where I try to like watch each QB each week and he was just playing in a different way, but it was, I think it was working. It was working, especially if, you know, you had the ideals that Pete Carroll always kind of has in his head of what the Seahawks team is, but it almost never is, which is like a team that's efficient running. I know, I know you like, Seahawks fans get crazy about being a run first team, but it does matter if like you're good at it when you do run or you're bad at it. And they were just, they weren't good at it. And then their defense, definitely the way they started the season, but for the most part, for the last five years has been you know, mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that too. I think the conversation gets hung up on run rates and run frequency when in reality it, it comes down to rushing effectiveness. And I think my frustration isn't that Seattle has run it more often than I think they should. It's they've run it more often. Than I think they should given the efficacy of their running game. Really, really. I mean, a lot of people say since Marshawn, but I mean, crazy enough since Thomas Rawls busted his ankle. Cause he, he filled right in for Marshawn. They kept rolling along and it's been four or five years. We've had some stretches from Carson, but they've been a pretty ineffective run game. And I think that's, what's been my biggest frustration. However, Granted, it was against arguably the worst rush defense in the NFL, but it felt great for those of us who've been <laughs> living and dying with the Seahawks to see Rashad Penny go off. Right. And the Rams, if you're going to beat them, I think you have to be able to run the ball. That That is where like it matters. Like Going up against a team like this Rams team, I think that's a little more where they're vulnerable and you're going to have to mix that in. It's like the Patriots were never a heavy run team, you know, with Tom Brady in general, but they were always like very efficient and in the games that they needed to, they generally could do it well. Even if you think back to, you know, a couple of weeks ago and against the bills, it's like they ran it and they, they didn't throw it in that game because they didn't need to in that specific game, in those conditions. I feel like Pete Carroll almost like always thinks he has the Legion of boom and he has this defense that he doesn't. Cause if he did, then, then the strategy on offense would make a little more sense, but he doesn't, he hasn't had it since like 25, 2016. It's like, <laughs> right. they've been mediocre. They've been pretty below average for a while. Yeah. You, you know, they have. And, and one of the things we've kind of danced around on the show is the idea that 
you get the sense Pete is coaching the team he wishes he had as opposed to the team he actually has. Like the roster just the strengths and weaknesses don't align with what worked 2012 through 2015. Um, and I think there's a lot of us that would like to see a little bit more evolution in that regard. But, you know, uh, you mentioned the defense and they've been really, really odd this season in that, you know, obviously they had that terrible start that you mentioned first four, first three games, really. Um, it, they just looked out of sorts. They, they looked like they didn't have a plan. There was no cohesion. And then they've slowly kind of grafted it all together. And, and it's so bizarre how they've done it because they're excellent in terms of third down, red zone, points allowed, but they do it without creating sacks. They do it without creating turnovers. What's going on there? Yeah, they just give up a lot of long drives. That's, that's why they're not really like that good of a defense. They're just they're okay. I mean, it's why they struggle in the efficiency metrics like DVOA or EPA is those types of ways of, you know, looking at efficiency does not favor giving up long drives. Like it, it, that's exactly what it wants out of offenses. It, it it tends to like like offenses that that move the ball slowly down the field. It's the same reason why the, the Seahawks have those four DVOA banners because their offense was always like ranked so high because they, even though they, they weren't a pass first offense, like they were very efficient. They didn't give up the ball. They like converted third downs. They, you know, they, they moved the ball consistently. And that's the, the Seahawks defense to me is a little bit of a reverse of that. And that's, that's fine. If you don't have a ton of playmakers, um, and that's like the best way that you can coach them up. But I feel like that is, that's not really what you want out of your defense in general. It's not going to work against a good playoff caliber offense. Like the one you're, you're playing Sunday. That's kind of the feeling that I have as well is that, you know, I mean, some of these quarterbacks that have had these 15 play drives against Seattle, I mean, we're Taylor Heineke and, and. Davis Gosh, Mills. They just playing Davis Mills started <laughs> off 14 for 14 in that game. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, uh, uh, one of those things where you just like to see them be able to get off the field a little bit better because it puts so much pressure on the offense to make the most of very few drives. And you're right. I think against good teams, uh, it's going to be tough to be given up seven, eight minute drives at a time. Now we talked a little bit about the identity of this team and whether or not it fits what Pete Carroll is trying to do and what has worked for him in the past. And one of the biggest conversations hanging over this team, like you mentioned, and any team that struggles, honestly, is the future of the coaching in the front office. And in Seattle, Pete Carroll kind of has an outsized influence on both aspects. Some, myself included, are wondering if there isn't a better option out there. So I want to play a little game with you. Ugh. Mike is going to keep score for us. What I'm going to do is read you the names of every other head coach in the NFL. And you tell me whether you'd rather have them or Carol as your team's coach for the next two seasons, and I'll do the same. Okay. So, okay. This you is gonna do it? All right. Yeah. We're gonna go alphabetically by city. Start in Arizona. Guess that's a state. <laughs> wow. So it's like, yeah, it's funny because when you think Pete too, it's like it comes with the whole system and are like, are we divorcing Cliff Kingsbury from the talent there? But okay, I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. Right. Let's. Yeah. Imagine you're. You're the Seahawks, right? You got okay. You got Seahawks roster next two years. Cliff Kingsbury or Pete Carroll? Kingsbury. Okay, I'm gonna go Carroll, but that that gap is is closing quickly. Arthur Smith. I go Pete Carroll. Carroll. John Harbaugh. Harbaugh. Harbaugh here too. Sean McDermott. McDermott. Same. Matt Rule. Pete Carroll. Carol here as well. Matt Nagy. I don't want to be too disrespectful. Nagy. I mean, uh, Carol, 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 Carol. <laughs> I don't want to be too disrespectful. No, no. I before mean, choosing like, Matt yeah, Nagy. there's got to be this line of, of like, I'm not going to totally dump on what Pete Carroll's done, but uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. definitely. Carol. All right. Zach Taylor. Carol. Same. Kevin Stefanski. I go Stefanski. I would as well. Vic Fangio. Uh, you might. What's the point of trading in like you know like a happy defensive guy with for a crusty defensive guy? So I would stay with Carroll. I would as well. Dan Campbell. Carroll. Same. Matt Lafleur. 
if this is like a, a point to like show, it's like, oh, we could have it worse. You're making a good point because I'm saying Carol more than I expect, but definitely Matt LaFleur on this. Yeah. I, I would as well. I, I hold LaFleur in really, really high regard. Yeah. David Coley. Carol. Same. Frank Reich. Reich. I'm Carol, but it's close. Now, you, toughest you name on the list, Urban Meyer. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Same. Rich Bisaccia. Carol. Same. Brandon Staley. Uh, I go Staley. You know, I and like is- if just if for the Twitter clips, if nothing else, just like the right. little speeches he <laughs> right. makes that seem inspiring. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of, of Pete Carroll 10 years ago. A little I bit. like it when uh, he just like talks up Justin Herbert as a total badass. Like, at, you yeah. know, in post game press conference like that, that I like. Oh, I I love that, man. I, <laughs> I, I I love it when the coach just hypes up his own players, and you you got to know they. And he hypes up offense. Well. He's a defensive. That's the main thing. Right. He's like, I, I'm not hearing that out of Pete Carroll when they're putting 40 points up. <laughs> right, totally. Like he seems uncomfortable with that. Sean McVay. McVay. Same. Brian Flores. Carroll. Carol, that one's a little closer. I, you know, they got off such a terrible start. I, I was really high on the Dolphins this year coming in. I, I thought they could really surprise the people, and then they got off that horrible start. But they've won five in a row, kind of under the radar. Like it, it's coming together I, for them. I like Flores. Yeah, I like him in general, and he's he's a fun defensive coach. Uh, I'm just sort of on like the tie in this situation goes to Carol, and the fact that I've heard, you know, you've heard things kind of in Miami. It's a little bit of a. Uh, crazy situation in terms of like coaches coming in and out players coming in and out it's like a little wild little drama too much drama totally for me Pete totally yeah yeah no it's just seattle's been stable nothing else man all right mike zimmer carol same belichick belichick obviously sean payton payton okay you'll notice if it's an offensive coach that gets a big edge to me yeah yeah for sure, I I'm leaning I'm leaning Peyton. That one is oh, probably wow. the closest for me. I I think if you offered me Sean Peyton for Pete Carroll for the next two years, I'm probably seeing what Peyton can do with Russ. All right, Joe Judge, Carroll, same. Robert Sala, Carroll, same. Nick Sirianni, Carroll. I mean, some of these guys are too new. I'm not. I don't yep. know what to totally. Think about totally. Mike Tomlin. I'd go Tomlin. You know? I would as well. Yeah. Kyle Shanahan. Shake it up. Shanahan. See, I'm going Carroll here. I would love oh, you're the in, you know, my my <laughs> my frustrations with Pete are in-game stuff. I love everything else that that he does as far as culture and, and running a program. And I, I just don't vibe with the kind of doghouse negative reinforcement that I see from Shanahan. Mm. But I would kill to have him call in the plays. I hear you, but it's telling me that. There is still a good chunk of Seahawks Twitter. It's good to hear this now. I feel like everyone just wants to throw Carol out, and there's no loyalty after the last decade. But your answers tell me there's there's plenty of, of appreciation still. Totally. Totally. Well, I mean, Jackson Jackson does want to throw Pete Carroll out. I would like right. to but escort it, him and, out. But gently. when it comes down to it, we're like going through this list. He's debating, he's debating about Sean Payton, who's like, you know, one of the best play callers and is like winning games with Trevor Simeon at quarterback. My whole thing is like, give me, give me offense. Cause what Pete Carroll hasn't done is shown that he can hire the right people or figure out the offense ever. He's mm-hmm. had enough time for mm-hmm. that. So give me offense unless it's like, all Arthur right. Smith. <laughs> all right. We got, we got three coaches left. Bruce okay. Arians. Arians. Although that one's weird. That one's close actually, but I go Arians. Yeah, that one's really close for me too, and and surprisingly, because I, c- I could not stand him when he was in the division. But I'm I'm actually leaning Arians right now, and I'm just thinking about it like, hey, if you knew you were going to have Pete Carroll as the coach of Seahawks for the next two years, or Bruce Arians, I think I would see what Arians could do with this offense. So with I'm leaning Russ, him with Russ. That is I know, a nice. That I know. is a nice fit. I think. I, and I'm just like. <laughs> Fully turgid, imagining DK Metcalf's end of season line in a <laughs> Bruce right, Arians exactly, offense too. Exactly. I, I just I want to see it. All right, two left. Mike Vrabel. You know, the, I, this might be recency bias, but I'm going to go Vrabel. He has now like convinced me that there's some sort of secret sauce, all knowing like head coach 
thing he's got going on that you can't like quantify. So I, I almost feel like he's like a, yeah, I'm going variable. I'm going variable. I am too. It's, it's crazy. They could be the number one seed in the AFC this year. <laughs> right. In a year where it seems like from the outside looking in kind of everything's gone wrong. Yeah. People, people that I trust, you, you talked about like culture building. He actually kind of reminds me of Carol. The, the difference is he doesn't have a track record of like a difference making scheme, which is, which is kind of what I look for first. Like Carol's had that, it, you know, now yep. it's kind of in the rear view, but it, at least he had that. Vrabel hasn't had that, but people I trust and just kind of looking at their record and what they've done with what they have, um, believe like just the yeah, the team kind of organization building, the decisions he makes, the way he deals with people is all like awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've loved pretty much everything I've seen and heard out of him. I'd, I'd choose him. Last one is Ron Rivera. Carol. I, I would take Carol too. I, and, and I said as someone that really, really likes Ron Rivera, but I, I would take Carol. Mike, I don't think I flipped him for us? any defensive coach except for Staley, if, I, if okay. I'm right. Because I, I don't okay. really need to for it yet. I don't need to do it for a defensive coach. Oh, oh I, for, I forgot one. How could I? How could I Ooh. forget Mike McCarthy? Oh, no. I'm leaving the mojo moments in, in Dallas. I'm going to <laughs> Same. I'm taking Carol I there. I don't need it. Okay. So, results are in. You guys both agree that John Harbaugh, Sean McDermott, Kevin Stefanski, Matt LaFleur, Andy Reid, Brandon Staley, Sean McVay, Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, Bruce Arians, and Mike Vrabel are better coaches than Pete Carroll. So Jackson, that puts him 13th in the league for you. And Greg, you prefer um, uh, Kendall and Roman Roy, a.k.a. uh, Kyle Shanahan and Cliff Kingsbury, (laughs) and uh, Frank Reich, Reich. who is closer to Logan than anybody else. So that puts him 16th in your eyes. Okay. Okay. Does that does that track for you, Greg? Now that we've done the exercise, yeah that that actually in a, in a way it made me um, appreciate Pete more. You know, because it it just feels like it's time. It's time for a change. I mean, and totally. this is a topic I I actually end up talking about, or I, I find fascinating on when I do other like national things because. From the outside, I think it's like a situation no one knows what the hell is going on. And I think it's like fascinating in a way that people aren't really talking about. Just like that there's this ownership vacuum essentially since Paul Allen died. And like who is making the decisions here and who is going to push to make those decisions? Like is Russell Wilson going to essentially force Jody Allen's hand? Because it it sort of feels like – would. Would she or anyone like step in in that way? Like I, I, it's really hard for like I don't think anyone, even the biggest insider, has any idea of how that could possibly go. And I'm curious how it will go. Well, that's yeah, totally. That's that's the thing. Because it seems right? like it, it seems like an either or thing, unless Pete can uh, I don't know can somehow like convince Russ and his team that it's all okay. That ship seems like it's sailed. That it, seems like. Yeah, it it, it kind of does. And, you know, I think a lot of the times I people hear my frustrations with Pete Carroll or they read them in my articles and think that I think he's a bad coach. I do not. I think he's pretty good. You think he's a bad person. <laughs> he seems like an excellent person. He seems person. like a great I, person, which, go, and, which and should, I value go, that. should count. Yeah, which should count for something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I value <laughs> that a lot, you know. And uh, so I, I have him as slightly above average, you know, and – there's a good chance that the next Seahawks coach is worse than Pete Carroll. But for me, it just comes down to my belief that the game is evolving in a way that Pete hasn't kept up with, uh, especially from like an in-game management standpoint. And now that we kind of know what championship football looks like in Seattle, I want that to be the goal. And I see Pete Carroll as a high floor, low ceiling coach. Mm. And I, I am willing to gamble that floor in exchange for potential that I don't believe currently exists with Pete Carroll coaching there. And and I know a lot of people say, and, and look, I've, I was there through some really shitty Seahawks seasons. It's not like, I don't know what it's like to root for a bad team. Uh, Cause a lot of folks are like, Oh, don't you remember how bad it is? Are you really willing to go back to that? I'm like, you know, yeah. If the next coach sucks, you can move on from him. But one thing we knew about Paul Allen is that he wasn't afraid to take the big swing. Right, He brought in Mike Holmgren when he was king of the coaching landscape and then had Jim Mora come in right after him and realized very quickly 
that wasn't working out, Jamora Jr., and pivoted to the hottest name in coaching at the time, again, which is Pete Carroll, and was, I mean, he got pilloried for doing that because everyone was talking about Carroll's record the first time that he was in the NFL, and he's this rah-rah coach that's gotten by on good recruiting and all that stuff. So uh, it's it's going to be very, very curious to see how ownership approaches it now that Paul is gone. But do you see Super Bowl potential in what remains Pete Carroll's career? No. I mean, if, if, they, hit, if they hit on a million picks that they don't have, essentially, but mid to late picks, like, you know, that's been the problem. I'm not the first one to say it, is just their – their talent left, you know, it, it, and they didn't really ever totally replace it. I mean, you have DK Lockett and Russ, which is like a great thing to build from. And that's why I lean towards, you're right, like taking the risk of blowing it up and going for the higher ceiling, lower floor with the new coach, because that's, to me, you're deciding, I want to keep that trio together. And it feels like that's the only way to do it. Cause I, in, the Russell Wilson conversation is like a whole different one of like what his next five years are going to be like. It's not like anyone knows for sure, but I do remember like Aaron Rodgers is um, like year end rankings in this like QB index thing, thing I do and stuff. And like he, he was struggling for a little bit. Like he had gone through a pretty long dip um, where he just like statistically wasn't that much better than average. And right now he's, trying to get a back-to-back MVP. I don't know if Russell Wilson can ever get to that heights. He was never at like the the heights Aaron Rodgers was at in the first place, but I think I th- I think you can get more and he's still young enough and Lockett's locked in and DK's still young. It's like I just want to see that now. I don't want to wait around anymore. And in, and it feels like to do that to keep Russell Wilson happy or I just, it just feels like that's probably like, that's probably the thing. And you're right. I remember people were not um, thrilled about the Pete Carroll hire. I I remember I covered, I used to do a thing at pro football talk. I was working there at the time and I covered that opening press conference. I always do like 10 takeaways from the opening press conference or whatever. I have never enjoyed, like that was the number one press conference, opening (laughs) press conference of all time. I went from a skeptic to being like, Oh, he's going to do it. This guy's amazing. Um, and I love this hire now. Like, he totally transformed me. And, he, and you, know, you know what? It was right. He was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's and, and that's what I, I try to keep as a part of this conversation because it the stuff that happens once the game clock starts drives me up the wall. And and I, I know that's not unique to being a Seahawks fan, but it's it's gone on for, for so long. And, I, and, and just his influence in roster building I just don't think matches his the the results of that over the last five years haven't matched his ethos between the lines and and I think that for me that disconnect is a little bit frustrating but it it doesn't mean that he wasn't excellent and the craziest thing for me while we're on the subject is that when he first came into the league he was kicking ass like he was going for it on fourth down more than almost any coach in the NFL. He was running fake punts up by multiple scores. He was trying to beat you by 40 if he could beat you by 40. And at some point, it switched into a more conservative shrink the game win in crunch time type of approach. And and I think I mourn that loss mm. uh, more than anything else because it was so fun rooting for a team that just let their balls hang like that. Yeah, I remember those teams. I mean, I even remember like the T Jack team. He had a year at T. Oh, no, he didn't. Did did he have yeah. a year at T Jack? Two thousand eleven. I I don't totally way. buy into Coin like flip Pete. God before Gino paving the way. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> get right. out of here. <laughs> uh, like I don't totally buy into the Pete, the Bill Parcells thing. It's like that you got to keep moving, or your uh, your message will get stale. But I don't know. There might be something to that with with the way Pete Carroll coaches and he is like the only coach that like takes a boat to practice or whatever there's some part of some part of that situation that he like owns land near the team building and he's like on the water taking the boat to practice and he's like kind of the owner something about that it's like okay enough of this like that works (laughs) only if you win 12 games a year like i don't want this anymore right right but it 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 also i i think it makes it uh, a tougher band-aid to pull right yeah, because he is—he sort of is the Seahawks, um, so that it makes sense. Totally. I want to get your thoughts on 
some kind of zoomed out league wide stuff, but there there's one thing that Mike and I have been discussing and I want to get your take on it before we do. It is no secret who my favorite football player is and that's DK Metcalf. And, and I'm fascinated by him. Not, I don't just think he's cool and fast and big and strong and all that great stuff. I, th- I find him a really, really fascinating person to watch grow into a superstar. So, the thing we've been kind of bandying back and forth is let's talk about just the next five years of his career. Is your ceiling for him? Like, do you see him really reaching that kind of Julio Jones, Deandre Hopkins, Antonio Brown peak of the position type of player, or is he kind of set to be a top 15 to 20 guy for a long time? I think he can reach higher than that. I think he can reach the peak. I certainly would have said that going into this season. So I feel like it's, it's a uh, recency bias or unfair to say that he couldn't, I think he, he needs the right coaches. He needs the right system. He needs to be put in the right spot, but that's what coaching is. I think if you just like focus on what he can do, like his strengths, I mean, I just feel like that, that has that close to that sort of ceiling. Now, Julio, you know, you just said Julio. That's like, like a upper inner ring hall of famer. So that's like a high bar. Um, like Mike Evans to me feels like maybe like the medium bar for DK. Like mm-hmm. maybe that's like an average outcome for his career, which is great. Or maybe even like that's low to, to average, which is amazing. Mike Evans has that's had amazing. like an amazing <laughs> yeah. career. So that's, yeah. that's sort of where I see like the middle of where DK should be headed. Um, but I think there's kind of room above and below that certainly if you get the wrong coaching or situation or quarterback totally totally and and you know it's with receivers i think it's easy to overlook the fact that a lot of things have to go right in order for a receiver to get a catch right it's not just beating their guy it a lot has to happen the play has to go his way the throw has to be good it has to be on time and then they have to actually make the catch and and get the yards it's it's something where it's like you see Randy Moss, right? He has obviously this insanely productive start to his career, historic in Minnesota, and he goes to the Raiders and disappears. And it's like, oh, maybe he's done. And then he goes to New England and starts setting records again. You know, it's it it really is, and we've we've seen that with a number of great receivers, is the the system just kind of has to fit. And it's been amazing to see what DK has pulled off in this system, but I think a lot of that has to do with just the quality of quarterback that he has thrown in the football. Right. I think Russell Wilson should be a good fit with what DK does. I mean, guy that can throw down the field like that, that should be great. It's, it's learning the nuances. I mean, you can't convince me there's like a better receiver right now than Stefan Diggs, And yet like mm-hmm. he was you know, his numbers were not there for much of his career. Even this year, like his numbers are dipped a little bit, but just in terms of being able to do everything, like if there's anyone better, it's, it's barely. And so DK maybe doesn't have that sort of uh range as a receiver, but this, it, I, I guess I'm pointing it out because the situation just dictates the production so much, so much. Of oh man. It's, it's so true. All right. So let's, let's go ahead and zoom out. I want to talk about, the league at large here. Seattle's they're still sitting 12th in the NFC. They've got a 2% to 5% chance of making the playoffs, depending on which prediction model you're looking at. So they're probably watching from the sidelines, but the 14 teams that do make it into the playoffs are a lot closer to each other than we typically see. I, I think this has been the toughest year that I can remember for picking favorites. It seems like every time a team starts to pull away, they get roped back in like a Peloton chasing down a breakaway rider. And now we're looking at two conferences where everybody is super bundled up. Like the first 10, 11 teams in both conferences only separated by a few games. So as you look across that landscape, who would you say are your top five Super Bowl contenders? Mm. And are you comfortable ranking them in order? Sure. Well, I think the best teams are in the NFC. So it's weird that you, you know, you, you say five and it's like, if you really wanted to be like a hot take guy, you could almost argue they're all in the NFC. If you wanted to take the top five, including the Cowboys. That's why we brought you here, Greg, to be the hot take guy, man, sell it. But I'm not, 
you said Super hey, you, Bowl contenders. Put, you though. put your own parameters on this. One thing, man. one has to make it from each. So with that in mind, I I kind of think it's well in order. Again, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be harder in the NFC. So I almost put the the Patriots and the Chiefs having just as good a chance to make the Super Bowl as anyone because I kind of put those two ahead in the AFC and think that the AFC uh, is going to be a little bit easier to get there. And then I would put the the Packers, uh, the Rams. Mm, it is tough to <laughs> to go five because I was gonna I was gonna say. Um, Packers, Cardinals, Bucks, but it's it is hard. I I guess I would still go that way because and leave the Rams out because the Rams need the Cardinals to lose twice here, or they need the Cardinals to lose to the Seahawks in Week 18. That's like a huge game. I feel like if the Seahawks win this week, like they're kind of in the mix, and I almost expect totally. them to to get that, to that Week 18 game with everything on the line. Uh, but the the Rams, on the other hand, they need the Cardinals to lose twice, most likely, unless the Cardinals win lose that last division game, and then it gets to tiebreakers. And I don't even know what, but the, so uh, just because then the Rams would have to win three straight. That's a long winded way of saying I'd go Packers one, uh, I'll go Chiefs two, Patriots three, uh, and then Bucks four, Cardinals five. All right, you know I'm. It's tough. Those those would be my top five teams too, with with the Rams and Bills hanging out like right at the cusp. But you right, you have and to a lot of it is because most likely they're going to have to win three straight road games. A few things could happen yep. certainly, and I'm giving Arizona like a lot of credit that I think if if it was like someone applying for a job and you were just like looking at the resume of the team so far, I think the Cardinals are probably the best team. But that's you know I think that's ignoring. Some of what's happened in their big game, biggest games, and especially the Packers, who I just think are going to get better, and they're already yeah, so man. good. <laughs> the Packers look awesome. They, <laughs> they look so good. And it's funny, we're not even talking about the Titans, who could end up being the team with the bye in the AFC, get A.J. Brown back, potential Derrick Henry comes back for the playoffs or at some point. I mean, all of a sudden, that, that's a team I wouldn't necessarily want to be betting against either. So, But you're telling me right now, you got to make a $10,000 bet on a team winning the Super Bowl. You're putting it on Green Bay. Yeah, I would. Okay. That would that would be the team. And I do think this is the year, and I, I think this is always true to some degree, but it's way more true this year that in the NFC, like any one of those top five teams could make the Super Bowl, and it wouldn't be a shocker. And, right. you, could, you know, depending on how the 49ers finish up, you can't even discount them. And in the AFC, like – I think almost all seven teams are going to have a chance because I just don't see anyone, you know, depend, you know, if Denver somehow sneaks in, I'm not going to include them. But if sure, like for the most part, I think almost all seven AFC teams would have a chance, like depending on a matchup, it's a single elimination tournament. I just am not buying into Kansas City or New England as some indes- some indestructible teams that couldn't lose in a given day to a to a team that just was a bad matchup or a bad day. I'll tell you this much, man. The the second the Seahawks are mathematically eliminated from this thing, I am all in on a Patriots Bucks Super Bowl. I, I need I need Belichick versus Brady, man. I don't. I'm a Patriots uh, <laughs> fan, although like it's it's kind of seeped out of me a little bit um, since Brady left and just uh, getting old and doing this a long time. But that is the last thing I want. I If the Patriots lose, I want the Bucks to win the Super Bowl. And But uh, I do not want a Patriots-Bucks Super Bowl. If, if nothing else, because I have to cover it. You know, yeah, I was just, just like, going to say, I, I, I didn't say that thinking about what your workload looks like, where you have to exhaust every storyline that's been repeated for the last 20 years with those two. And it's just, you know, we do this, we do this around the NFL podcast and it's like, I'm so fortunate to have covered, you know, all the, every Super Bowl since 2007, the, the Patriots 18 in one year, and you know, until last year because of COVID, but I'll be there this year. It'll be like a home game in LA and just imagining that week. And like, I, I hate, I hate my fandom being like the uh, center center of, of things too. And then like when you're at the game, it's like, clearly it's just like an emotional thing. And especially if it was like Brady Patriots, it's, it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> 
So this is like a self-preservation rooting Absolutely. against that matchup. I felt there was a point that like when they when Brady lost in 2019, it, they had been to three straight, and it was it was almost like a relief that to not cover um, your own team because it's it's like the highest class problem in the world, but it sucks to cover. Uh, the team you root for losing the Super Bowl, which I've done three times. You know, they're three and three with me. There. I am absolutely <laughs> rooting for a Bucks patriots Super Bowl because it's time that you motherfuckers realized what it's like, okay? It's time for you to, like, in a game that, like, really, really matters, just have to, like, feel that inevitability. Just have to understand. Okay. Tom Brady? But, oh, on the other side of Brady, like... What do you even tell? Well, feel what it's like. What first of all, like feel what it's like making it to another Super Bowl this time with like a rookie quarterback. I mean, that's that's a nice feeling to set up. Second of all, like I was there at, at the twenty the two thousand eleven Super Bowl that they lost to the Giants. I went you know went into the locker room and Tom Brady has got his like head in his hands for like five minutes. Some guy from Yahoo wrote an article about it. It's just him like sitting there frozen. And I left thinking like, oh, that was it. The, the, you know, the way NFL careers go, like the odds on him getting back to another one is never going to happen. So I, f- I felt that pain, Mike. It just only lasted until, you know, 2014 when you played the Get Seahawks. out of here. Man. It's really nice. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. God. all right all right so we're gonna step down from mount olympus of patriots fanhood here for a second zero back in on the seahawks they do have the aforementioned rams coming up let's assume that outside of it sounds like odell probably doesn't play just based on the timing of his uh positive test but ramsey uh probably back sounds like uh assuming there's no new positive test i mean who knows right but higby's already back let's let's assume a mostly full strength rams team they lost jordan fuller and terrell burgess though two of their they kind of play three safeties often and fuller's Fuller's captain sure he's out he's gonna be out because he just got the positive test too and they just they just added a couple other guys i didn't you know practice squad guys even wednesday uh and so like who knows this could keep taking they happening during the week but you're right yeah they'll get some players back. The Rams are interesting too, because I mean, you know, we, we tend to get these monolithic opinions of teams where they're either super good or super bad. And you can't, you're not allowed to vacillate on that opinion. Rams came out looking amazing. And then they've had kind of a rough stretch here until the last couple of weeks, obviously they looked incredible against the Cardinals, especially losing guys like Ramsey right before game time. But before that, you saw Matt Stafford, who at times has looked like the best quarterback in the NFL, really, really struggle. Is is that like a wrinkle you think they've worked out and now they're they're back to cruising? Or are there ways to throw this McVay offense off its game, even with Stafford at quarterback? I think there are, but I don't know if the Seahawks are the team to do it. <laughs> that was one of those games, and maybe we're overreacting, that does get you thinking like, okay, it's clicking in for this offense, the defensive energy they played with, you know, on Monday night was incredible too. I don't know if they'll be able to replicate that each and every week. They'll still have Aaron Donald every week. Uh, And so the defense, I I don't know if it'll be much better than average or, or what, but the offense you did. I do feel like if, if they're playing just a mediocre defense, they should, they should be the ones with answers. Like the Seahawks aren't a team that shows up and like surprises you (laughs) with what they do. Right. (laughs) <laughs> totally no that's that's their thing line up and that's you, that's what the just teams that beat the rams you. did they kind of said they it, they were kind of game plan games like the tennessee game was absolutely like a game plan game. yeah nope i i hear you so okay so this seahawks team the way they're playing right now plays this rams team the way they're playing right now 10 times how many times does seattle win and it's in la right mm-hmm. uh 10 games in la how many do they win two or three two or three okay if this were to be one of those two or three, how did they do it? Well, I I think they mm, good question. Uh, they they do force those long drives. Um, you know they they make L.A. earn it. Not like they're trying to shorten the game because I hate that. It's like you're, uh, sometimes you're shortening the time that you lose too. But in that mix, you you make them work for it, and some of those drives end up in field goal drives. Certainly, you you have to play well in the red zone good but more than anything it's just like you know you're aggressive offensively hopefully but like russ and tyler lockett and dk are just like their best selves like we put so much on coaches but these guys are ballers and like they're that's how you win the two is that those 
those three guys and you get enough protection, obviously, to let Russ that you get the best of Russ and the best of those two guys winning matchups on the outside, which I think they could against this secondary, especially with those two safeties gone. And other than Ramsey, like those those cornerbacks for the Rams have been pretty up and down this year. They haven't been great. And like those those guys are all all pro type players like just be that be yeah. those guys you know carry them like carry the rest of the team that's what's gonna yeah be. i think so too i i think that when you're i mean i, I see the rams you you may disagree with this but because you co- cover other teams closer than i do but I, I look at the rams and i see the most talented top to bottom roster in the nfl and if not i think they're probably on a pretty short list and i and i think that when you're playing a team like that that just has you outgunned at most of the stations you just got to go with your main guys and you got to say, all right, DK, Tyler, Russ, this is, this is on you. We might need 40 today. Go get 40. Like we're going to, we're going to make it happen this way. We're not going to dink and dunk. We're not going to be looking for ways to get Will Disley involved. We're, we're going to go after you with our guys. Right. And Ramsey's status is so huge. Assuming he plays, huge. he's obviously a good candidate to be a DK stopper or at least slowing down and that that frees up you to double lock it and then it gets you know it gets hairy um but i don't know i i think they could do it it's funny that that monday night game is one of those games that i like i know i'm overreacting to it but you you saw what happened with the bucks last year late in the season and you see it a decent amount that some teams click in late and and then they go and then they ride and it usually like starts with a game like that they and they did put up like 20 four I think on the Jaguars in the second half uh it was 37 overall and it was like that was a six quarter just like blitz of offense um that they're hoping continues yeah you know I obviously as as someone that's hoping the Seahawks win I would make my peace with Jalen Ramsey not playing in this game but as a football fan my single favorite head-to-head matchup in all of football is DK Metcalf and Jalen Ramsey like you could almost offer me a camera angle that was just following those two over actually watching the game happen. I might, I might choose that one just because I'm so fascinated by that interaction. Jalen Ramsey's my favorite cornerback. DK, obviously my favorite receiver. And I'm the, the way that neither of them back down the, the fearlessness that they both have makes that, I think the most watchable showdown in the NFL. So the football fan in me is hoping Ramsey's there. Whereas maybe the Seahawks fan would be okay with them, you know, resting up, just take care of your health, man. Think long-term. Yeah. I would just be, if I were you rooting against him, because <laughs> I think you guys need, you might need some help. Plus McVay's had a you know, pretty nice history here over Carol. Oh, I've been, you know, I've been to some big totally. Seahawks Rams game and I'm not someone like you go to a lot of games, but I used to go to more. I saw the Seahawks, win the division over the Rams, Jeff Fisher's mm-hmm. Rams in an ugly Thursday night game, I think six years ago. Uh, yep. Remember the little celebrate, you know, they were very, you know, they had won a lot at that point. They weren't celebrating a division championship that much. And I saw the Rams do the same to the Seahawks. I think also in Seattle uh, a couple of years later with Jared Goff. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they had that Thursday night game a couple of years ago where, where Russ, I think, had the best throw of his career that sprinting left throw to the back corner of the end zone to, to Tyler Lockett. Sometimes you get those wild games and it's like, okay, yeah, maybe there's enough magic. Seattle can pull this off. But I was also at the game. They lost 42 to seven to the Rams. That and was the one I was at. Yeah. That was oh the one my I was God. At. Yeah. Oh, it's the only game I've, I've left early. Like I think it was, I think it was literally 28 or 35, nothing at halftime. Like, all right, let's, let's see how the second half starts. It's like, you remember it was cold and windy and rainy, like miserable anyway. We're like, all right, let's give it, let's give it one drive, second half, see if they can make this a game. And the Rams went down and scored in like two minutes. We're like, all right, all right, we got to get out of here. That was so, that but, was like the flip side of the Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl, where totally. I was sitting with you know friend and you know, we're in the press in our version of the press box, and someone who you know convinced the Broncos are going to win that game. Um, it's like, all right, let's see how this second half goes. And then, and then the kick out, you know, hard. And then Percy. Thing. And it's like, okay, this is over. I always use that game as an example of though, like blowouts can be awesome. Like you can't tell even as a neutral fan that day, um, that's not your ideal Super Bowl, but you can't tell me that Super Bowl wasn't way more entertaining than let's say Seahawks Steelers or like, right. you know, well, I know for Seahawks fan, but there's 
or Panthers Broncos or pa- to use another uh, Peyton Manning one Panthers Broncos like you can't tell me that that Seahawks blowout wasn't like way better than those games which are ostensibly close I'm actually really happy that you brought that up because I've always wondered I'm like does because you know it, as Seahawks fans it's very clearly the best day of our fanhood but I've always wondered like did the rest of the country just be like this game sucks because it's boring you know it's it's not close but I I thought it was kind of I, awesome. Like I thought yeah, it was awesome, it was awesome, man. I thought it was awesome. Like, cause, cause it wasn't like the Broncos just went out there and sucked. It's just the Seahawks kicked ass in every facet. Like to just see that, to see what I truly think. I, I, I think even if I wasn't a Seahawks fan, I, I think I would put the 2013 Seahawks on the short list of best teams I've ever seen, and to see them play their best game in that moment, like I'm very into that. Yeah, I, I am too. When it's great players and great plays, like you need the great plays, but they had them in that game, like memorable, memorable plays. Then blowouts uh, can be fantastic. Plus it was like, you know, they were underdogs in that game. Not by much, I think two or three points or whatever, but yeah. it was not like people were expecting anything close to, to that sort of result. Totally, totally. Well, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how everything shakes out from here on out and you know, honestly, one of the things I've been happiest with during this first season of our podcast is the level of dialogue that's come forth from it. And today, no exception. Absolutely love chopping it up with you, man. And and I think we could keep going for a little while longer, but it's probably time to put a bow on this for now. So grateful for your time and insight. I know the folks listening are as well. Why don't you tell the folks where they can find more of you? Sure. Um, the Around the NFL podcast, you mentioned it. We also do uh, the Jesselnick and Rosenthal Vanny project, which is with a buddy of mine, Anthony, that's a comedian, Anthony Jesselnick. So that's that's a weird, fun thing to check out, too, if you're into weird, fun things. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, listen, I mean, guys, if you like today's discussion, make sure you are following Greg so you can keep up with the many ways he is educating and entertaining people. And as always, I want to thank you guys for subscribing to the show reading the Cigar Thoughts articles, spreading the love on social media. And speaking of, you can find me on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay. Mike is on the bird at at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seattle Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And keep in mind, we are doing audio readings of every article uh, each week after the game to so be able to plug in the headphones and, and listen to the column if that's easier for you than reading it. And if you do have a moment, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your preference. The level of support and the way y'all have been sharing the show means the world to us. We're really grateful for the love. So that'll do it for today. Thank you one more time to Greg for coming on. Until next time, onwards and upwards, my friends. Mm-hmm.